Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Bill Barnwell Show. Before we get into today's show, two things to tell you about. Number one, I want to quickly remind you that Conor McGregor, yes, Conor McGregor, returns to the Octagon January 23rd in a rematch against Dustin Poirier at UFC 257, and it's only on ESPN+. UFC 257 is exclusively available to ESPN Plus subscribers for $69.99. To get that, visit ESPNplus.com slash PPV, pay-per-view. ESPNplus.com slash PPV. And also, very exciting news, we have a brand new ESPN podcast launching this week. You know about First Take, but how about First Take, Her Take? This new podcast is hosted Kimberly Martin and Chine Ogumike. They discuss and debate the biggest sports stories and delve into topics about their lives and culture. And we have Kimberly Martin later on the show to talk about the NFL's coaching hires. So listen to that. And of course, subscribe, rate, and review First Take Her Take, as well as the Bill Barnwell Show, wherever you get your podcasts. And now first in the show, Nate Tice is coming up to talk about the four divisional round games, what went right what went wrong and what's going to happen this upcoming Sunday in the conference championship games. So without further ado, here's Nate Tice. All right. Joining me now as promised here on the Bill Barnwell show, a regular contributor, the athletic football show with Robert Mays, unfortunately for him stuck talking to Mays once a week, but thankfully joining us for more enlightened football commentary is my friend, Nate Tice. Nate, how are you? So great! I know now we're doing two shows a week with the playoffs, so it's like it's like Robert's paying for my friendship a little bit. <laughs> I hope so. I, I hope he's not taking advantage of you in that way. Um, Absolutely not. He's doing great. <laughs> one of the best follows on Twitter when it comes to NFL X's and O's. A how would I how would I describe I, like like everyone has a role on NFL Twitter. Like Mina is the final boss of NFL. Twitter. You are the like the library of nfl twitter yeah whereas like people come to you and like, hmm, is this a, is this what was actually happening here can you can you please give me the insight and then you direct people to where the actual correct information is yeah it was the it's like the zone duo signal instead of the batman signal that people <laughs> set up there <laughs> but i don't know it's like i don't want to like call myself like the like I, I was trying to think of some game of thrones thing and i guess i'm just you know sam <laughs> i know and i was like i don't i don't want to be like the bastard of whispers or something something cool like that it's like you know like but uh nowhere of things i guess you know yeah i, I just, guess, just, I guess just whispering or something like that just, yeah yeah just whispering. whispering look at the look at the formation <laughs> to tell whether it's two it's yeah exactly i just whisper it's one by three you can get a coverage tell <laughs> Is the same talking points as over and over, just whisper them at different levels. <laughs> yeah, everyone's wondering why I go all lowercase when I, t- I tweet. That's why you know, I'm whispering it out. <laughs> One day we'll get an all caps tweet from Nate Tice, but that day has, I don't believe not yet come. But Nate, we have a lot to talk about today. We have four games to get to. Uh, we're going to talk, we'll recap okay. the, uh, the four divisional round games after having looked at them a little closer after this weekend's action. Let's just go chronologically. Simplest way to go. Let's start with Rams Packers. And Brandon Staley was the Rams defensive coordinator on Saturday. He is no longer the Rams defensive coordinator, as we're going to get to a little, a little later with Kimberly Martin. We're going to be talking about uh, his new role with the Chargers. But, Nate, let's start with this. Is there anything Brandon Staley could have done in this game 
that he did not do to slow down the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers? I guess, like, get a medical degree and learn how to heal Aaron Donald's ribs. Yes. <laughs> like, I think that's just about it. Uh, I, the Packers really pitched a perfect game. Um, as far as just scheme stuff they're doing and just whenever Rodgers is doing that, um, it's going to be hard to to defend. And, you know, and Brandon Staley, they did what they do. There wasn't much adjustments from them. They, um, you know, they kept Ramsey to – really to shading to one side, not shading to one side, but just covering it outside. Like, mm-hmm. like they've typically done the last few weeks or most of the year. Um, yeah. I, I think it's just one of those things. They didn't create the turnover that they needed. They had a couple stops, but it was just, you know, just not enough when the Packers were rolling like that and they don't have an offense that could keep up with them. Um, of course, I think if they have an offense of a couple of years ago, you know, the 2018 Rams or even 2017 Rams, like, okay, they probably would have really been in the game, but it kind of just played out how it, how you kind of expected mm-hmm. to, to do. They just needed a mistake to happen. They needed weather to create something or just something to happen. Jalen Ramsey make a hero play, but mm-hmm. Packers did a great job. You got to give props to the floor and Aaron Rodgers is just, blacking out right now <laughs> so there's not much not much you can do i mean they did the one thing that was to attack the uh, the rams defense to be able to mm-hmm. run the ball and be patient and yeah they were patient and then right when they had to take a shot they took a shot and you know the one time that rogers put ball in harm's way it wasn't the worst situation to do it you know at the end of the two minute mm-hmm. um up six and you know and yeah, it's not ideal to do that twice in a row, but I appreciate someone going for the freaking dagger rather mm-hmm. than checking it down all the time. I was a, I coached Derek Carr for a couple of years. I'm over that. I don't know why I threw in that pot shot. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you're going to get blocked by Derek Carr on Twitter so quick now. <laughs> I, Greg Rosenthal and those guys around the NFL already had the odds. So if he hasn't blocked me in by now, it's, it, it, you know, I think I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is a game where, you know, it felt like, like Aaron Rodgers was just in control, right? He was just in the pocket, like not, not in the pocket literally, but like in the pocket figuratively, just, it felt like he was always a step ahead. His footwork was perfect. Yeah. He, you know, was always moving to the right place. He was always finding the open receiver. Um, the Rams, you know, were competitive it wasn't like it was a blowout it wasn't like you know Rodgers was just picking them apart play after play they came up with a couple stops in the second half but I just think the 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 long touchdown pass to Alan Lashard was just an example where it was just like you know everything was 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 on tap right like it was the right play call against the right you know the right rotation of the safeties it was the right time for Mm -hmm. you know the floor it seems like he knew what was coming in terms of the Rams trying to stop the run there. It was a couple plays right after the Rams almost got their break when AJ Dillon fumbled, but Rogers right place, right time, picks it up and runs forward for a couple of yards. Just like, like, you know, like it, it felt like the Packers could see into the future a tiny bit. Yes. Even the, there's the second and long play where they're backed up. It looked like a safety was about to happen or at mm-hmm. least the sack where he gets tackled at the one or a throwaway, and it would have been third and 12 or 14. Rodgers just drops a dime in there. So it's like you need when you play these offenses like this, you need something to change it up. It's just something, a bump, a ball. Like you said, the ball kicked right back to Rodgers. When that's happening, you're not catching a break. Yeah, you can't have that. And on the flip side, it's the Rams offense actually played pretty well. Yeah, I mean, they, they, ran, they ran the ball fine. And Goff is getting a lot of heat right now. And 
I rewatched it. Golf played like good. Yeah, the golf played winning football, and it just sucks. It, it, they had to draw even leading up to that shot play to to Lazard. Like uh, it's so hard for me not to call him Charizard, but it, it's you know. But with him, it's because that's just I, I get private nicknames. That I just run in my head. You know, like when you read a book and you can't pronounce someone's name. Maybe not you. You're smarter than me. But like when you can't pronounce a name, you kind of have a nickname in your head that you just call the person. And then when I, that's happened to me when I used to read Harry Potter as a kid, and then I saw the movies, I'm like. Oh, that's how you say that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I do that with soccer um, teams mostly. So, oh my God, yeah, that's yeah, that's oh, there's still some like stars. I'm like, oh yeah, he's a great player. And then I've heard some, but it's like the first time I heard someone say Juventus, and and, um, like either as opposed to me reading it, and also I was like, what team is what team is that? (laughs) Oh, that team. Oh, oh yeah, that team that like one of the top five clubs in the world. Yeah, okay, yeah, I've heard of them. Trust me, I'm not. That's okay. When I when I was a teenager, I I was a Leicester fan for three years, so uh, I kept it after a while. (laughs) No, that's great. And but with 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 going back to the point is like in on the Rams on the offense right before that shot play, Rams moved the ball. They were backed up. They got a couple first downs, and then they had a a drop pass. uh, I think it was by Reynolds and it yeah. would have been at least, it might've been Jefferson, but it might've been, it was for sure going to be at least a seven yard game mm-hmm. or it might've even been a first down, but at least it would have been second and manageable. He drops it at second and 10. They drop back they, I think they had an empty formation, which they ran a lot because they were keeping the Packers basic mm-hmm. and they get an empty formation and two guys look like they either ran the right same route or they just by, cause they got bumped. They were just right next to each other. Mm-hmm. Goff has to double clutch the ball. He takes a sack third down. They check it down. They punt it. And then, Rogers hits the shot play, game over. Yeah. And it's just one of the, when you're playing a really good team like the Packers or the Chiefs, it's you can't miss. <laughs> you know, right. it's just they, you you can't miss against these good teams when you get these opportunities. You just can't. And yeah, that's but that speaks to the Packers. That's how good they are right now. Is that the other team has to be perfect to beat them? Yeah, that's the really weird thing is that I know we've talked about, you know. Jared Goff's future with this team. And, and certainly it seemed like over the last few weeks of the year, he was not playing well. Even before the thumb injury, week 15, week 16, he did not play well against the Jets, was not playing well against the Seahawks. So he comes into this game with a thumb injury, facing a, a, a Packers team that's very tough to beat when they're playing from ahead in weather, mm-hmm. where we'd not expect him to be very good in the weather. It kind of felt like it was going to be a Jared Goff disaster game. And I thought Jared Goff it, it did. It felt, I thought Jared Goff played very well. And then after the game, we have Sean McVay coming out and saying, well, he's our quarterback right now and we're evaluating everyone, blah, 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 blah. When this is a guy who, when Jared Goff has played poorly in the past, has always backed Jared Goff super hard. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. number one, it feels like, like, like what Jared Goff did in this game is at odds with that we're talking about Jared Goff. But do you feel like Sean McVay is seriously thinking about reevaluating his quarterback position or is this sort of like a maybe more of a ploy to motivate or maybe threaten Jared Goff a little bit more so heading into 2021 and having that be more of a make or break year for the former first overall pick I think it I think your your point about how he always defended him in the in the media and always did that that shows it's not by accident that McVeigh used those words. I think he is a smart enough guy. I mean, obviously, and um, they, they were those words were chosen <laughs> for a specific yes, reason. It feels like it. I think it's more. 
I think it was more him lighting a fire. I think it's, I think in his head, it's okay. If this guy is my quarterback for next, for, you know, foreseeable future, it's like, okay, this will light a fire under him or at least no, publicly plant the seed mm-hmm. that if there's a benching in the future, like next year, it's like, Hey, you saw the reading in the tea leaves. You no, know, you read, read the tea leaves a little bit, or it could be the ulterior motive that they have something on the back burner that they're already working out. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, those words were chosen for a reason, what they mean, what they're trying to, what McVeigh is trying to accomplish with those. I think it's just one of those two things. I think he's just trying to light a fire under him. Maybe that's his way of publicly motivating him is to him. That's what sometimes do the you know, players and, and coaches do they, okay, if this stuff is not getting done privately, all right, I'm going to leak something publicly <laughs> and get the ball rolling. And I think that's more of what it is. It, it just, it is funny. Like you said, those other weeks, like the, the week 17, week 16, the playoff game, the wild card game, golf would very much on the outs. Like it just like Wolford all of a sudden was going in there and it's like, Oh, I think McVay was like, Oh, I got a quarterback with legs. <laughs> like, you know, this is, this is great. I got all this stuff I can dust off from when I was in Washington. Like, you know, and it, I think that's what a little bit of it was, but I, I just think it's just, um, I, it's just weird. It's just so weird for me because the golf, I watched it and I'm like expecting, I'm like, man, maybe golf didn't play that well. Played fine. He played good. He played winning football. And, but yeah, I just still think that's McVay doing, he's playing the seed somehow. And I think all of us are just going to be waiting to see what that seed was that he's trying to grow. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, now on the flip side, yeah. that's a situation where it feels like the offense around it is that the quarterback is in question. When it comes to mm-hmm. the Baltimore Ravens, who lost the Buffalo Bills on Sunday, it feels like the opposite. We know Baltimore's quarterback is going to be Lamar Jackson. I don't think he's going anywhere. If anything, he's about to sign a lucrative contract extension this offseason. The offense around him seems to be in question. A frustrating loss for the Ravens. They only score three points, of course, come closer, but the pick six from Jackson right at the end of the game, obviously, or right in the, in the third quarter, really then flipped the switch. Um, what was about to be a, a tie game turned into um, the final margin of victory for the Buffalo Bills. So we'll get to the Bills in a minute and what they have coming up against the Chiefs. But in terms of this game, in terms of what you saw from the Ravens this year, I mean, do you feel like this passing attack is not up to professional standard? And and if that's the case, how do you sort of uh, apportion the blame for that amongst Lamar, amongst the receivers, amongst the coaching staff? Like, like what what do you see here when you watch the Ravens closely? Yeah, it's the, starting with last year. That was always the concern was okay. Yeah, they're great when playing from ahead or when they're in a balanced game or, or a neutral game that you know, they can just stick with their stuff. And it was the question of starting with the divisional round last year was when the Titans kind of, I wouldn't say solved them, but, you know, limited them and made them just go empty and run all these five vert stuff. And mm-hmm. it was kind of like, okay, they have a whole off season to adjust. They'll be fine. You know, I'm not going to hit the panic button. And then early in the season, they played the chiefs and got blown out of the water. And it was just like, okay, we started seeing, I saw the same, we, we all saw the same exact thing. So I think you knew on the podcast <laughs> saying the exact same things. And it's, it's very, very concerning because um, it's with the passing game that they have Greg Roman, you know, we can, his run game stuff is good. Like it was great in San Fran. It was good in Buffalo. Now it's been good here, here in Baltimore it's he's always his best offenses. He had a, a guy that was in charge of the passing attack and that was Harbaugh and San Fran. 
Buffalo, the passing attack wasn't great. So we saw what it was with, even with Tyrod Taylor being like an efficiency monster. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just, it just limited. It was just half field reads, very static concepts. And I, I actually said this on the, the podcast with Mays was, I was like, Oh, they need a passing game coordinator. And he was like, well, they actually have one. <laughs> and I was like, Oh boy. <laughs> Cause that means, all right, they need someone that's not a yes man. Because I mean, whatever they're doing here, it just, even the stuff that is, they, they run these kind of more basic concepts. They'll go five wide. It, it looks like somebody's running a wrong route or somebody just doesn't know what they're trying to accomplish. Guys are going like half speed on the routes. And it's like, it's like, it's like they don't even work on them. And after, after the wildcard game in the second half, they came out at halftime and they just went back to the run game. They ran a little simple RPOs and then they got right into the red zone and it was like first or second down and they dropped back again. I think it was first down. They dropped back again. And it was incomplete. I was like, just stop. Like, <laughs> like just please rip that page out of your playbook and like, don't even worry about it. Like just stop doing that. Your defense is good enough. You don't have to try and prove us wrong. Just stick with what's working. Because they have done enough in the run game, they adjust every week and even mid game. That I'm like, okay, they're they're coaching, like they're actually looking at this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just very, it's very weird because I, I Lamar was in a, a you know his offense in college, like that's a complicated offense, and he was able to handle it. So mm-hmm. uh, you know, and he missed he missed a couple throws, he missed a couple reads, I would say on on, on this weekend. And now the concern is, is it because he just does not trust it, period? So that's why he's just like, screw this. The wild card game against Tennessee, he, he throws the shot play um, way behind the guy. And, it, you know, late and everything was just awful. And it's like, all right, is that because they're coaching them to do that? Or is that mm-hmm. just Lamar? And it's or Lamar just doesn't have faith in the passing text. That's what they have to figure out. Is it just because Lamar can't handle it? Or is it because they are like, oh, no, we'll just focus on the run game. We'll, we don't need these passes. No matter what, something's off. <laughs> so it it's very, like very hard about it. And they have to figure something out because it's just it's now been over a season, and every time one of these losses comes up, it's the same thing. We talked about their offense. Man, their drop back passing game sucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's something's got to change. Whatever it is, they have to figure out. They have to get another set of eyes there. They have to get some special assistance, some something to uh, to just modernize it because it just it's so basic. Everything is so static. I think Lamar really benefits from stuff that's moving. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, and he, when he breaks contain, the guys are naturally moving as well. I think that is what he benefits from. And it just seems like a lot of times they don't understand that with the concepts. It's a lot mm-hmm. of stuff that's static and like just stopped routes, which I don't think Lamar throws very well. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Um, yeah. now let me be simplistic here. Let me play devil's advocate. Let me be the dumb person. So you can correct me and be the smart person. Like in Madden, you could just pick different plays. So why don't they just yeah. add more passing plays to the playbook? Like, is it just that simple? Like, just like, like bring in someone and say, okay, this is what our run concepts are. Like build some pass concepts off this and we're good. Like, like, like how difficult is it to actually have that process happen um, from now until the start of next year's regular season? A, a little bit of it is like that. It's going like, Hey, I got some cool ball plays. Want to see them? Like that's kind of a little bit of what it is. And, and, but some of it is also, that's where training camp really comes in in the off season is the stuff you practice, especially the week one up until about day eight to 10 install um, stuff you run throughout the year. Those are your base concepts. And usually when you're game planning stuff week to week, you try to have as much carryover of your core concepts as you can. I think a lot of the good teams do that. There's a million ways to skin a cat. So, you know, you can change it up every week if you want. Um, there's teams that do that. 
but like a team like the Chiefs, they don't run as much as you would think. Um, and then they have a couple game plan tweaks. Why you want those core concepts that you teach from day one is when you adjust off of them, it's easier, if that makes sense. It's easier to just go, sure. hey, this is concept concept A plus X, as opposed to, hey, this is now concept N, but we're actually going to call this NN, and then we're adding YXZ. And then it's like, <laughs> oh, okay, oh, oh, wait, okay, okay, yeah, okay, I think I got it, I think I got it. And I'll, I'll use the term game plan, game plan routes or game plan concepts, usually mm-hmm. seeing the red zone or on third down. And it is, it can be a little hard on guys. I think the best coaches are able to communicate that it's something I'm going way off branch here, but like, I've always been fascinated with the really good coaches like, you know, Shanahan, but even like McVay mm-hmm. is how do you create these terms? How do you use it? How, what's the verbiage you use to get these cadence things, to get things on the hurry up and to uh, communicate things very quickly. And everyone always knows what to do when you watch mm-hmm. a well-coached team, everyone knows what they're doing. So that's always something I've been fascinated in. You, anyone can draw a line and create place. You know, that that's that they're Tom Moore used to call them line drawers. <laughs> He's like, anyone could be a line drawer. And <laughs> sorry, I'm quoting my, I'm quoting my dad, quoting Tom Moore. <laughs> and, and he, um, but with that, it's how do you teach it? How do you communicate it? And I think that's where the hangup comes in because a guy might come in and just go, Oh, you call that stick. Well, I call that olive. Mm-hmm. Oh, you call that um, trolley. Well, I call that four birds. Um, you know, so it, it might be a little translation. That's where the issue can come into mm-hmm. into play. Um, but yeah, it's it's it starts with day one, and that's where the install comes in. But it, it is a little bit hard to create plays during like out of nowhere, out of thin air. But that you can do that during the bye week. You can trickle a couple new ones in each week. Guys have to learn dozens of new plays or concepts each week. So I'm talking kind of out both sides of my mouth, but it is a little hard unless the coach is just phenomenal and just know, kind of knows what the hell they're doing. So what you're saying is bring in a phenomenal passing coach, problem solved. Yeah. I, I think that will help a lot. Okay. So Ravens <laughs> should hire Andy Reed as their, um, as their special assistant to Greg Roman and we're good to go. I don't see yeah. any issues here. And we're now, good. I don't yes. see any issues after that either. Now on the flip side of this game, Bills didn't score a ton, 17 points, but they get their offense going in the second half. Um, I think we saw the Ravens play a little more coverage, maybe not blitz quite as much in the first half of this game. Um, at least that's what the numbers said. Um, obviously, if that's not the case, please correct me. But in terms of how the Chiefs might approach the upcoming matchup between the Bills and the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game, we saw the Chiefs blitz Josh Allen quite a bit the first time these two teams played earlier this season. In terms of, you know, looking at Josh Allen, looking what he does best, is there a balance you think there that makes sense? Like, does it make sense to blitz him more and try and get him off his spot? Does it make sense to play coverage? Like, if you were going to try and slow down Josh Allen, we've seen maybe two extremes. How would you go about it, you think? I would make him try to matriculate down the field. I I think... He's he's Mr. Explosive play. I mean, they just that's just what they are. It's it's, it's fantastic to watch. And mm-hmm. actually, speaking of a team that changes from week to week, is the Bills. They yes, bring up so. new concepts every single week. Yeah, and they can handle it. They have guys that can handle it. And they must be good teachers because it seems like everyone knows what they're doing. There is a couple times if you ever know Stefan Diggs, I think is guessing on what route he's running. So <laughs> it's 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 pretty fascinating to watch him come off the ball sometimes and 
meander on his route and go, I think I'm supposed to go here. And then the ball comes to him and he's like, okay. <laughs> so uh, it's something I have noticed with that, that offense, but they get away with it. So who cares? I think, I think blitzing now the bills is not as advantageous as it was ever since the bye week And then when they got John Feliciano back, mm-hmm. I think John Feliciano has been almost a, underrated or unsung MVP of the Bills offense, which is so weird to say about a right guard. Um, this is just what I know with John is he was our, our swing guy in Oakland. Mm-hmm. When I was there, he was a swing guard and center. And he was, I mean, he could handle the center stuff like perfectly fine. He was extremely intelligent, always had the notes and stuff. Having him as your starting guard, helping the center, you have two legit center minds. Mm-hmm. It's, you can tell like their stuff is sorted out perfectly. So I think it's not so much that you're, pressuring Josh Allen. It's just that I don't think you're able to get to him <laughs> with how well the bills aligns doing. Of course, you know, Frank Clark and, and uh, Chris Jones can make some plays, you know, just winning a one-on-one. But I think really that the way to slow down Josh Allen is just make him be a quarterback as opposed mm-hmm. to Mr. Explosive play is make him hit these little in-between routes, hit a little zone routes and, and, you know, once in a while, heat him up and change the look on him. But the thing is, the game's slowing down for him. The Colts were trying to disguise their looks, mm-hmm. and he was—he didn't even care. And so that—that's pretty scary <laughs> that he's not getting fooled by stuff anymore. So, um, hold on to your hats. I guess is a good way to defend him um, and make him try and run the ball. Uh, you know, Dable's going to call whatever he has to call. But I, I think making him be patient and be a, a legit quarterback is the way to slow him down if you can. What's ironic about all, about that exact plan is it's what exactly what the bills did to the chiefs yep. the last time these two teams yep. played you know play too deep play too real deep get deeper um you know don't get beat for a big play make the chiefs run the ball <laughs> on the field run the ball a ton give up five yards yep. of carry we're good there and then try to hold them in the red zone and i think that seems like that might be the philosophy for both these teams in this game yes yep I, I completely agree i mean yes. that's what the browns were doing last week to the chiefs too they mm-hmm. were trying to sit and cover two and mahomes really didn't care <laughs> but uh but that's what you have to do it's just you have to hope that they just screw up you that's that's what you have to do against these teams it's like playing a three-point shooting team like the warriors or the mm-hmm. seven second or seven seconds or less sons and you just got to hope they miss threes that day that's that's what it is that's fair now you mentioned chiefs browns let's talk about that game let's start with the fourth and two play or fourth and one play were you surprised andy Reid threw the ball no, like gun to head. I was like, Andy Reid's got something here. Like I, you know, it just felt like it. I don't know. I, I, that's so easy for me to say here, like, you know, afterwards, but I'm not, I'm not shocked in the slightest. There's a couple, and not only the fact that he threw the ball, but exactly running a sprint out like that. And that's like Mahomes' special. Cause he's so uh, incredible on the move and finding lanes and everything. Mm-hmm. Every the whole setup for all of it was just amazing. Like the, the fact they took their time, they you know mo- shifted the guy all the way up, up the running back all the way across to hide his his strength, the running back strength because that's a tell. Having the running back towards the three receiver side is a tell for sprint outs. Right. So disguising that, they did the whole operation and they took their time with it. And they I don't know, it was just like you can see the coaching because it wasn't like hey guys get lined up. I've seen so many coaches that come out of timeout. And then the guys just line up and they act like, okay, and there's 18 seconds left on the play clock because everyone's just gung ho. So yeah. the fact not only that Andy Reid called the play, that they emphasized, hey, take your time on this to really put the guys to sleep, you know, put the Browns to sleep. 
So not only am I like, I'm not really surprised. <laughs> Too long didn't read. I'm not that surprised. <laughs> I mean, I was surprised. I, you know, I'm, well, I'm blessed. I'm a more naive football mind than yours, but I, I mean, Tony Romo was with me. I'm just going to say that much. I, I really thought they were going to just um, try and draw them and then run a play. I mean, the do whole, you think the, Tony, Tony held his little ah for like about 30 <laughs> seconds for that whole pre-snap operation? Ah, I don't know, Jim. I, I don't know. We got him there. <laughs> I've been working on my Romo. <laughs> I think Romo has been working on his Romo. I think he practices that during oh my the God. He leans into it. It's gone from like, yeah, yeah. It's just like, yeah, it's like watching The Wire and the guy. I don't know. How, how can I swear on here? Yes, um, we'll, probably, we'll probably edit it, but. Oh, okay. Well, it'll be a long ass beep then. But the guy going, like, <laughs> like it starts with, it starts at three seconds. By that time season five rolls around, it's about 15 seconds. He's holding that. <laughs> you got to hit your high spots. That, that, that's just being smart. You do. That's just being you smart. You do. You do. Um, in this game, I mean, like you said, the Chiefs were moving the ball comfortably, but did have to settle for field goals, one of which Harrison Butker missed. Of course, they hit a couple as well. I, I mean, let's let's assume that Patrick Mahomes is playing for now. Are you at all concerned about this offense executing in the red zone or executing, you know, in in a in close quarters? Like, do you think this is going to be a game where the Chiefs do get held to field goals, or is it just randomness and it's just that you know you assume they're going to be fine because they're pretty good everywhere else in the field? I think it's a little bit of randomness. The the at the beginning of the year. Um, and I haven't really dove into the numbers, and this actually can probably lead me to dive into the numbers, is is early in the year, um, they were struggling in short yardage and goal line situations. Mm-hmm. And that was something I kind of noticed. They kind of have solved it, running a little more speed option with Mahomes and everything, um, for better or for worse. And the the but I, I'm not too concerned because they run some fun stuff down there in the red zone. It just seemed like they got caught in kind of the middle high red zone. Mm-hmm. They couldn't get that first down to make it second and goal, first and goal, or I'm sorry, first and goal inside the right. 10. And that's where, and that's where they get unlocked. I think it's more the Browns didn't get anxious and, you know, just a couple opportunities missed. I think it was just a little bit of randomness. Um, I, I, I've just seen too much of what Andy Reid pulls out down there that he can, he can figure out a way to score. I've seen yes. Don Terry Poe catching screens and shit. <laughs> um, so, so I, I have enough memories to doubt, to not doubt Andy Reid down there. I think it's just a little bit of randomness. And I just think the Browns did a good job of just sticking, sticking with it. Even when the chiefs are just body blowing them, you know, just peppering them. They're like, Nope, Nope. We're staying in, you know, spot drop, cover three, spot drop, cover two. And we're just going to mm-hmm. hang in it, hang in it, hang in it. And they did. Um, the Bills are a team that is fine doing that as well. They're fine staying too high. I think they're a little more. I, I'm curious if the Chiefs are going to pound the rock a little bit against what uh, what the Bills want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I think I think it's, it's going to be yeah, like you said, I think it's going to be very similar to both sides are going to kind of play similar uh, similar schemes on defense where they're just mm-hmm. going to try and make the other quarterback be patient, and it might be an exchanging of field goals when guys miss their chances. Makes sense. Now in the the final game of the weekend, very different. Not a team playing too high, sitting back, letting easy completions happen with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who did pretty much the opposite, it seemed like. A ton of man coverage, everyone tied up at the line of scrimmage, and daring Drew Brees to make throws into coverage. That did not happen. Drew Brees struggled (laughs) mightily. It was a disastrous final game for him, possibly in the NFL. 
the Saints lose. They turn the ball over four times. Drew Brees throws three interceptions. So, Nate, was this surprising to you? Was it shocking to you? I mean, you know, obviously, um, Bucks were a live team. It wasn't like they were expected to get blown out, but this is a team that very comfortably dispatched the Buccaneers last time the two teams played, and Drew Brees struggled throughout this entire game. So, I mean, how surprised were you with how Drew Brees performed here against the Buccaneers? I was, I mean, I was a little surprised it was this, uh, this bad, I guess would be a better way to put it. The, um, I, I knew it was going to be a long day for, for Brees because they, it, it, I, the Bucks were comfortable running two man and, and running, making them work because they're not worried about Brees scrambling. And the best way to get a team out of two man is to, to just have the quarterback scramble or at least mm-hmm. bang in a couple throws in there and then go, Oh God, we can't keep up with this. And a lot of the weaknesses in that two-man stuff is outbreakers, deeper outbreakers like a sail route, mm-hmm. um, or or a double move kind of thing, which we saw like you know the Bucks hit Scotty Miller on the one late, and that was against two-man as well. Mm-hmm. Two of those interceptions, two of those three interceptions were against two-man, and the and the third one was a uh, looked like a, uh, it was the one that they intended to Kamara. It was a you know miscommunication. It looked mm-hmm. like they were trying to do like a little game plan adjustment on it. Um, but it, it, both of those plays, it, one, one was supposed to be a double move and Breeze just doesn't have the arm to attack that 15 to 25 yard area. And that's where the definition of arm strength comes in. You're like the deep ball, there's deep ball arm strength. And then there's arm strength of me being able to throw through a wall in 10 yards in front of me. And that area is what a quarterback and versus two man has to attack because that's just what the routes that has to beat it. So when you, that whole page is ripped out of your playbook that's a long that's a hard way to live mm. and you know the run and they were great run game the saints have their run game stuff is weekly watch stuff for me like i just love mm. watching the saints run game and they only can get you so much when the bucks start scoring points and they you know they got a pretty dang good run defense it's like that's hard they're you know really working against the grain the whole day it, it's it's a little surprising that it was this bad though um, but you know, it could be even worse if it was an outdoor game. Like I was actually dreading when the game, when Saints took the lead, I was like, I don't think Drew Brees is going to survive in Lambeau next week. <laughs> like the, <laughs> these ball, I kept, I've compared it now, but I said, it looked like when he was throwing some of those scene balls and this has happened for the last couple of weeks, it looks like a person playing Madden that accidentally, when they're trying to snap the ball and they accidentally tap a, <laughs> and so the ball just lobs out of the quarterback when he mean to line it in. That's what those throws were looking like though. And so, I mean, it's just that, that arm, it, it was, it's been a concern every, every year for the last about three years, you know, the second half of the season, there's been jokes about Breeze's arm falling off um, in the second half of the year. You know, no, that wasn't supposed to be a figure of speech, but kind of literally. Right. Um, but now, but now this whole year, it was week one and the, that was a concern. So mm-hmm. it was like, this is just something that's just slowly devolving on them. And it just thinks the bucks leaned into the two man and other, other con- or other kind of man, defense that Bulls is able to play and yeah they just they just kind of wore down by the end of the game the Bucks were able to score points against the Saints defense and that's kind of it were you surprised that that Sean Payton didn't have more answers I mean we saw the one trick play with Jameis Winston for a long touchdown you know they did run some pick plays here and there but you know it's it sort of I, I guess it was surprising that we didn't see this from more teams during the regular season um, yeah. against the Saints and I was surprised that Payton didn't have more answers to try and deal with the tight coverage. This is just that the receivers weren't very good. I mean, we know, of course, some guys were injured, Michael Thomas most notably. Um, or was it just that this was just really well executed on the defensive side of the ball? 
I think I think it was very well executed. But no, I, I agree with you. You know, it, there you would hope that there'd be more answers. But that's the thing. It's like the, even the two, you know, things I mentioned, like a sail route or a, like a double move. Those are only ones that I know. <laughs> you know that there's not like like fifth, like you know if someone plays spot drop cover three, you're I can even me like I could dial up you know ten plays that are beaters like you know and Sean Payton is tenfold football knowledge of what I have. Mm-hmm. So, but like two man. There's only a few answers you can have, and the best one is using a quarterback's legs. So I think Champagne's like, I only can dial up so many double moves for you, Breeze. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Drew, you got to hit a couple of them. Um, and, and apparently, word came out that Michael Thomas was really banged up. And when you don't have that true, maybe a guy that's like, hey, okay, this isn't ideal. I, I, I don't want to throw it here, but the guy's going to catch the ball for me. You know, the, the Randy Moss throws where you just kind of go, he's double covered, whatever. They didn't have any of that. And when you have to live on a run game and the, the game's slowly falling away from you, that's really tough. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think it's they, they got a little spoiled a little bit with their defense creating so many short fields for them that they didn't have to generate these explosive plays mm-hmm. before. I, I, I think it just happens. I think Sean Payton was like, hey, I got I, they're going to run two man against us, but guess what? I got these five plays and we're going to kill them with it. And two of those plays ended up in interceptions. So I, I, I think it's, it's just one of those things where the Bucks just outplayed them at the end of the day. Like you, you can have the best plan possible. You can have the best answers possible, but you know, guys still have to execute. And that's why players truly do win these games. And just one of those days where they were outmatched. Now we saw the Bucks play well earlier this year against the Packers. It was the one team that mm-hmm. really gave Aaron Rodgers fits. Um, I think Aaron Rodgers had an NFL record 15 games with a passer rating over 90 and the one game against the bucks, he was like in the low thirties. It was a, just a brutal performance from a guy who was incredible over the rest of the season. So as we finish up here, Nate, do you feel like the Buccaneers have a chance, even if it's not turning Rogers into like a replacement level quarterback, the way they did the first game, do you think they have a viable shot at slowing down Rogers to have him not look like the guy we saw who was dominating arguably the best defense in football in the Rams last week. Yeah. I, I, I can't wait to rewatch that game. And, you know, I, I think pressuring Rogers is always playing with fire. Um, you can catch him a couple times. And, and when you pressure, it's like, okay, who's guarding Devontae Adams or who's running foot, you know, step for step with, with MVS, you know, or that's, and then Tanya is a matchup issue as well. Um, but when it hits, it hits. It's pretty nice, like like how the Bucks played last time against them. Mm-hmm. It's it almost. It, I would I wouldn't want to. I kind of want to just. Bulls is going to run what he runs. He runs man pressures. He runs voided coverage pressures um, or pressures with voided coverages behind where there's a, you know a zone missing and it's up to the offense to find that zone to hit. Mm-hmm. Um, you're hoping that the rush gets home. I think. The Bucks have enough rush. Jason Pierre-Paul is playing out of his mind that they can really slow him down and create negative plays as opposed to net neutral plays, like as opposed to like a, a three-yard gain, like mm-hmm. an actual sack or an actual ball batted down on right. a pass or something of that sort. They have enough heat to do that naturally. Um, but it's the the best thing the Bucks can have is they have an offense that's going to be able to score points even with weather. Um, you know that so at least they're going to take. A, you know, advantage of it. And Brady's playing out of his freaking mind right now mm-hmm. and hitting everything. As soon as his foot hits the ground, the ball's coming out. So any of those crazy Packer pressures, they want to, you know, Penton wants to run, like they're going to protect it and Brady's going to get the ball out to the right mm-hmm. spot. 
Um, actually, the best thing that Bucks could do is run the ball because Penton still doesn't believe in run defense. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's fascinating to watch. I, I couldn't believe like the Rams ran the ball pretty well. And they kind of, if they had the right game script, they probably would have ran for 250 yards on them. You heard, um, did you hear the Blake Martinez quote after he signed with the giants? No, he said something. Oh, no, like, what was it? He said something like, yeah, you know, uh, my job was just to make the Smiths right when it came to run defense, they did whatever they wanted. And then my job was just to make them right in the run fit and just try to figure out where I should be. It seemed very casual for an NFL defense. <laughs> oh, you think? I mean, they, they'll have two two guys blitzing in the same gap. Like, <laughs> just whatever. Yeah, or, or yeah, the blitz is great because it's not sound. Like, you're just making up stuff. But, hey, if it works, it works. Cool. It works. Right, but exactly. the thing is, yeah, it works. It's great. But, you know, we saw what happens when it doesn't work. Like, in the, the last year's conference championship mm-hmm. game, they faced exactly. a team that was comfortable running the ball against them. Um, yeah, so I, I think the Bucks' offense is, is they're able to protect their offensive line is playing that's great right now. Um, Tristan Wirfs, I mean, everyone is racing to put out highlights on him, but like just the whole line's playing great. Mm-hmm. Packers are going to get home a couple times. They, they they will. They're too good not to. But I think it's a good matchup for the Bucks. I really do. I think think they have a defense that's aggressive enough that can keep up with them. Um, you know, they will get gashed a couple times. It's inevitable. But it's I, I think the Bucks' offense matches up with the Packers' defense really well because they got a lot of talent. They're protecting really well, and Brady's playing out of his mind. So I think if the weather um, isn't too crazy, it, it, it's not a bad matchup for the Bucks, <laughs> which is crazy to say. They're one of the most volatile teams, it seems like. But, I mean, if you just keep looking at it, it's like, oh, my God, this last like six, seven weeks, they've really turned a corner. And I, I, even myself, I've kind of have underestimated how good that offense is. It, it's just that they're going to always just run their stuff, and it's just up to the other team to kind of create a chance on them. Mm, that makes total sense. Well, Nate, you said that you're doing a podcast twice a week, and I don't like to let people plug this podcast, but I'll make an exception here today. Where can people check out more of the work you do? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Nate underscore Tice. Uh, I mostly tweet a lot of football stuff a couple memes and a lot of wrestling and movie references and oh some board game stuff too have you played pan am yet by the way it's still sitting on the couch it's an off-season they, they project. call it got it they call that the shelf of shame in the board game world <laughs> where you get a game and then don't play it i've i've several of those games um and then you can also find me with uh on robert mays with robert mays on the athletic football show i'm usually on the uh, not usually I am on the Sunday night, Monday morning episodes, and now we will do playoff preview games. You'll hear me this Thursday morning um, uh, for the conference championship preview with Robert Mays on the athletic football show. In all seriousness, I'm getting used to doing that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> In all seriousness, an excellent listen would advise you guys to check that out. And Nate, as always, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, Bill. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8-S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8-Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be.
All right, joining me now, as promised, here on the Bill Barnwell Show, a first-time guest to the show and one of the hosts of the new ESPN podcast, First Take Her Take. It's NFL reporter Kimberly Martin. Kimberly, how are you? Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. This is the first time I've been on, but hopefully this will not be the last. I would hope for that as well. (laughs) We have an interesting topic to talk about because I feel like this is a really weird time to be interviewing people when it comes to NFL jobs. Obviously, a lot of turnover this year. Uh, We already have four hires. A fifth seems to be on the way. Two more jobs open with the Eagles and Texans. We're going to get to all that. But first, Kimberly, tell me about the new show. Tell me about First Take Her Take. So first, I'm really excited. Uh, it's going to be myself, Chenea Ogumake, uh, who you guys see, you guys listen to on the radio, her and Golik. She's got her own radio show. Of She's course. killing it. Um, always on SportsCenter, First Take. And then um, Charlie Arnold, who is the one of the hosts for First Take. So mm. this is just a vehicle for the three of us who frequent First Take. Now we've got our own space Mm -hmm. to give our own takes um, on stuff that we would, you would talk about that Max and and Stephen A would talk about on the show. Um, It's just a larger format. It's going to be sports. It's going to be pop culture. Um, I can talk about Bridgerton now on a podcast. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So it's just, you know, I think I will say that three, it'll look like three chicks, Oh, three chicks talking sports, like, Whoa, that's so cool. And I think that's, that's, a reaction for a certain subsection of the population, but we're no different. I've been a reporter for a long time. Chanae mm-hmm. played in the WNBA. Like, you know, Charlie's got her whole WWE fan base. Like we're locked in a sports in our own way. And we've got very distinct personalities. So it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to just talk and talk about a lot of different things. So I hope your listeners will, you know, want to subscribe as well to ours. Okay, so I have a dumb question about Bridgerton. Dumb question hit me. Bridgerton, oh, which I have okay, not wait. Seen. Let me just say, oh, oh okay, because I was about to say, don't you ruin anything. No, no, I still no, no, have no, no. Like three or four episodes left. No, no, I've only okay. seen the trailer. So here's okay. my question for you. And again, this may be a dumb question. Please tell me there if are it is. No um, dumb questions, though. Go ahead. Is it just like Victorian Gossip Girl? Mm, no. Okay. Mm, well, hmm, I feel like that. Um, that meme of that lady not like like changing her mind like mm, no <laughs> well actually mm, maybe um no it's 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 more it's it's not as like salacious okay it is like grown up it, it's not like that cool like like oh who's who's really like spilling the tea mm-hmm. it doesn't it's 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 like a more it's like a three on that sort of like okay. gossip girl type level but it the it's so good it's Oh, good. Bill, so good. It is and I don't on my have list. time to watch TV. You need to watch it. It's so good. It is on my list for sure. Okay. <laughs> so very, very different topic. Very. Going from the world of Bridgerton to mm-hmm. the world of NFL coaching decisions. And I want to ask mm-hmm. what you think about these four hires that are official. And then we have another one that seems to be on the way. And we have a couple of candidates on the outside right now who I think a lot of us expected to get head coaching jobs. So I want to get your opinion on where Mm -hmm. they stand as well. So let's start with the biggest name on this list. Let's start with Urban Meyer going to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, Let me ask you two questions here. Number one, was this the most appealing job to you of the jobs that were out there? And then number two, how do you feel about Urban Meyer coming into a 
NFL experience after spending his entire career as a head coach on the college level? Okay, so I personally saw the Jaguars as the the most um, as like the job you had to mm-hmm. have um, because of that number one pick, and I was shocked. And also sort of like, okay, cool. When Urban Meyer was asked that very question, how much of, of the decision was based on the Jaguars having number one pick? And he was like, absolutely, that was huge. And I was surprised he was honest about it because mm-hmm. the Jaguars have been bad for a while. Yes. And Urban was still doing the, the TV thing. And he nobody was thinking about, oh, I can't wait to coach the Jaguars, you know, if that job ever comes available. Mm-hmm. So that shows Fair. you the power of Trevor Lawrence. Or just the power of being in the driver's seat of having the number one pick and you get to decide if Trevor Lawrence, the guy who's going to be as good as Andrew Luck and the next John Elway, Mm -hmm. or do I see another guy that I think is better? Do I want to use that and try to get Deshaun Watson down here? Mm. Um, You know, I think it's that's why it's such a prime position because of the draft picks and because of the the money that they're going to have with the Mm -hmm. salary cap. Uh, As far as the hiring did not shock me because there were rumors for a while that he was going to go there. Mm-hmm. But I, what I find interesting and we'll touch on this later is there's nothing about urban Meyer's college coaching career mm-hmm. that indicates without a shadow of a doubt that this man will be successful in the NFL. Nothing. Mm-hmm. There's nothing about his track record, but if you're the Jaguars, if you're a team that's sitting in Florida, one of several teams in Florida already mm-hmm. um, that, that has been losing for a long time i mean this is a team that three years ago it they were in the afc title game you know what i mean or or like they they were so deep in the playoffs that you're like oh this team Mm -hmm. with this defense could be on its way if it had a better quarterback right and since Mm -hmm. then they've just been they've completely gone asunder Um, so so if you're that franchise if you need to fill seats once Corona ends and all that stuff, God mm. willing, um, you want to find somebody that uh, you, you can't, you need a big name. You mm. need a name where you're like, Ooh, what is synonymous with, with leadership? Mm-hmm. What's synonymous with winning? Okay. Urban Meyer, call it. That makes perfect sense. You need a household name now with the paired with the number one pick or a new QB. That's, that's gold. And mm. if he can put it together, that's great. It remains to be seen if he will do that. That's fair. I, I wonder, and I want to know what you think. I, I'm not sure. I don't have any uh, special insight here when it comes to Urban Meyer, but do you think that he is going to handle the experience of not being, or I guess of not having all the great players, maybe the way he did at Florida and especially at Ohio State, where because he's such a good recruiter, he was able to attract talent. He was able to convince people um, you know, convince young players to come play for him at these schools. Obviously, he's going to get Trevor Lawrence handed to him, you know, on a silver platter. But after that, um, you know, no special ability. I mean, the Jaguars are an organization where, like you said, they do play in Florida. No state income tax. That's going to help. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it seems like he's there for the long term, which is good. But we've seen does coaches. It, does it seem like he's there for the long term? Mm, to the extent that Urban Meyer is anywhere. See, for the long mm-hmm. term. Anyway, exactly. I think that's a very good point to bring up. And I mean, we've seen coaches in the past, college coaches like Steve Spurrier, like Bobby Petrino, right. who mm-hmm. have, you know, and even Chip Kelly, who have gone there, have gone to the NFL, mm-hmm. maybe even had some early success in the case of Chip right. Kelly, but in the long term, were not able to take that advantage they had in college and make it count at the pro right. level. Do you feel like Urban Meyer is going to handle <clears> that? 
I don't know. That's the big unknown. And that's why I say there's nothing about his track record that shows he can um, develop this young quarterback that's going to come in. We presume mm-hmm. it would be Trevor Lawrence, right? Yes. And withstand and be able to mentally cope with the losing that's going to happen. Because here's the thing, these organizations that need head coaches and have top picks, it's mm-hmm. because they're, they're not good. Like mm-hmm. the organizations have failed to, to win games and most of these teams have either gone winless or won one or two games. That's why they're even in the position to uh, hire a new head coach and mm-hmm. draft time. So I don't know. We're about to see can Urban Meyer, a guy who is used, he is a, he's somebody who's used to winning, you know, on the college level. But it's right. a different thing when you've got grown men mm-hmm. in locker rooms who have families. Um, how you talk to them needs to be different how you relate Mm -hmm. to them needs to be different um the same what you do with college kids like that i don't think that's not going to fly here in the nfl Mm -hmm. for a lot of guys so that's number one but also when it's not easy when you can when you don't have access to the best players because Mm -hmm. you've done a great job recruiting when you've got to wait uh, you know, you, you you try to build a team based on the draft and free agency and try to marry the two procedures like year to year, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's a slow rebuild. It is a slow rebuild. And for some of these owners, even if they hired decent head coaches, like last year, people were getting real frustrated with Brian Flores at mm-hmm. the start of the season. Sure. And it's like you take on this responsibility of having to reset the culture. Because again, years of losing have led you to this point. Reset the culture. Be competitive, but you don't have you don't have the horses a lot of time because mm-hmm. this is why the team isn't good, right? So how Urban handles all that and how he communicates to the guys in the locker room, hey, this is a new day. I know I haven't been an NFL head coach, but mm-hmm. together we're going to turn this whole, we're going to make Jacksonville cool. Like we're going to make Jacksonville a place where you win. Um, we'll see how he does it. Yeah. I mean, to that point, you think about what happened with Tom Coughlin there in Jacksonville, right? Where oh, man. First yeah. year he's there or first, you know, first, I think maybe full season he was there. They win a bunch of games. They make it almost to the yep. Super Bowl. Everyone's happy. Everyone's going great. <laughs> yep. And then they stop winning. And then mm-hmm. everyone, you know, we see players coming out and saying we're, we're fined unfairly. We have players who want to mm-hmm. leave. And everyone from that organization who was a core part of that, that, that team that almost made it to the Super Bowl, including Tom Coughlin, is now gone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with Urban, it may be a thing where if they're winning, things might be great. And the moment that things don't go their way, where things are, they're not winning or Trevor Lawrence gets hurt or they're not a successful team, we may see, you know, um, maybe some criticism of Urban Meyer come in from the locker room and he yeah. ended up losing the locker room. I think that's definitely in play there. So. Like you said, I think a lot of different ways that could go in a very fascinating hire. Yes. Um, you know, I feel like I like a high risk, high reward hire. Oh, yeah. But that's why you that's why you do it. Like mm-hmm. you got to swing for the fences for that marquee name. And we'll overlook the fact that like he hasn't he doesn't have the proven track record in the mm-hmm. NFL, but he possesses all the other qualities that we think are important that says, hey, this can be the guy. Yes. Now, on the flip side of that. Mm-hmm. Urban Meyer, great college resume, obviously a head coach for a while, very successful. Let's go to Los Angeles. Let's go to the guy mm-hmm. the Chargers hired in Brandon Staley, who, I mean, 2015, 2016, this guy is a defensive coordinator at John Carroll University. No right. disrespect to John Carroll. No, no disrespect to the Blue Streaks. 
sure mm-hmm. he did great work there. Right. I, I think if you went to John Carroll five years ago and told Brandon <laughs> Stelly, hey, you're going to be an NFL head coach mm-hmm. in five years, he mm-hmm. would have laughed at you. And yet mm-hmm. here we are. This man has yep. been hired as the head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. So Kimberly, yep. do you think this is too much too soon? The 38-year-old coach. You will never hear me say somebody is moving too quickly in their career. Mm-hmm. I will never knock somebody for that because um, I've had a few different jobs that I've, I've worked my way up fairly quickly in certain spots. Mm-hmm. However, it is different on the NFL level. But in fairness to Brandon Staley, you know, I remember early in the season, like I covered Bills, Rams. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was week two or week three. And somebody from the Rams told me, we're talking about the game pregame. We're talking mm-hmm. about the matchup and like the Bills, like da, da, da. And I'm like, I'm really excited to, you know, I'm like, oh, I talked to Robert Woods heading into the game and these guys are feeling great. And the person was like, our offense is good. Our defense, outstanding. Like, Mm. trust me on this. Brandon Staley, this man is going to be a head coach. I'm like, all right, all right, all right, all right, cool. Um, Because I'm like, okay, well, you got to say that about your guy. Okay, you're the Mm. same organization. And and the person was like, no, trust me. And the more, from that moment, the more I started talking to people in the league, it's like, oh, this guy, it, it, it's not about just impressing people that he works with. It's like mm-hmm. other teams, other execs are taking notice. And there's nothing wrong with moving up very quickly. I mean, like, like you said, you know, John Carroll, like where, you know, where else? James Madison, you know, he's mm-hmm. a defensive coordinator, linebackers coach, um, the Bears linebackers coach, you know, and up until he was a coordinator last year, this was like his own, he had one year as a coordinator and now he's a head coach. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but you trust, you have to trust that the talent evaluators around the league mm-hmm. can see talent. Mm-hmm. So he's spoken very highly of, he is somebody who, and it's not just people in LA or um, players or just coaches or like, you know, it's like the, the people who praise him, it runs the gamut. Mm-hmm. from executives to you know what I mean so right. I feel like a lot of people are, are on board with the hiring but it is interesting especially because the man they fired Anthony Lynn was mm-hmm. somebody who had to work his way up a long time yes long time running backs coach uh, Anthony Lynn also a black man worked his way up you know I covered him when he was on the Jets he was a running backs coach and mm-hmm. and Rex's assistant head coach with the Jets for a long time then went to Buffalo with Rex interim head coach when Rex was fired briefly Mm -hmm. then Buffalo gave the job to Sean McDermott um Mm -hmm. and you know Aylin eventually went to LA and off of the season that the Chargers had like they got the quarterback yes at least for right now you think like you know Justin Herbert is the guy and Anthony Lynn is responsible for putting together that staff that has Pep Hamilton Mm -hmm you know, who works with Justin Herbert, like these guys together help Justin Herbert mature through this season where we are all very impressed with Justin Herbert. Um, and the losses, you know, so they lost in some crazy ways. Yes. Um, they just chargered like you wouldn't believe, <laughs> but you know, so, and it's funny because I did a sit down with Anthony Lim. I went to LA mm-hmm. last year when I worked for Yahoo Sports and I talked to Tom Telesco, the GM, about Aylin and the culture and like how he is such a great leader. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was, it wasn't shocking because I felt like Anthony was on Anthony Lynn was on the hot seat last year. Mm-hmm. 
But coming into this year, I was like, yeah, they, this team has to go to the playoffs or else. Um, so it wasn't surprising that it was fired. But it, it is interesting when you juxtapose his rise to this position of finally being a head coach mm-hmm. and the turn, you know, how he was, how his team played and, and the decision to let him go. And then you go with an, a quote unquote unproven mm-hmm. guy to to entrust your franchise with. Like, it's almost like Anthony Lynn did the hard work of rebuilding the culture mm-hmm. and like, you know, getting guys in there and like coaching a team that, you know, had been to the playoffs before and now um it's brandon staley's term so but you hope brandon staley does well um because if he doesn't that means like the rams just wasted time with the wrong guy you know Mm -hmm. so you hope that he does well yeah i mean it felt like a decision where they got to three and nine they lost 45 nothing to the patriots at home and it was kind of like okay we've made up our mind we're getting rid of anthony year, even though you know for a guy who his team blew a lot of games late early in the year and it was extremely frustrating mm-hmm. hey, they ended the year with four straight victories they ended up seven right. and, nine. and i think before the year if you'd said hey we're seven and nine and we have uh justin herbert looking great that would have right. been a victory they would be like okay we, we made progress we're heading in the right right mm-hmm. so it felt like it felt like you know at some point they had made up their minds already regardless of how things happened at the end of the season right. exactly um, another guy who uh, you know, had built up his career over a while. A guy who was a linebackers coach in Jacksonville and made his way to San Francisco as a coordinator. And then two great seasons uh, over the past couple of years in San Francisco, mm-hmm. the head coach of the New York Jets, Robert Sala. So in terms of Robert Sala's decision to take this Jets job, it has <laughs> Which been, we can question, we can question been, what is he thinking? <laughs> it has been a poisoned, a poison job <laughs> in the past. So Kimberly, I know there's only 32 of these jobs and I know that there are other jobs out there that might've been even less desirable that we'll get to in a minute, but do you think he can do the thing that has been almost impossible to do now for 20 years and Mm -hmm. turn around the New York Jets? Oh man, I don't don't know, man. (laughs) It's like, um, so here's the deal. So I, you know, covered the Jets as a backup beat writer and then a full-time beat writer from the Rex years to the Todd years, and then whatever the gay situation was, whatever you want to call that. Mm-hmm. So it's now, so I've seen different iterations of this team. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like Robert Sala is the in-between of Rex and Todd. From the standpoint of when this man walks in a room, he has a presence. Mm-hmm. You can feel, not just his size, but the way he carries himself. So the reason the Jets were so enamored with him is during their two meetings, he sat down, you could feel this guy's leadership. Mm-hmm. He was able to articulate a very clear plan of what he wanted to do with this franchise and the direction they need to go in and how you have to hit reset. Now, when I say new direction, I don't, as of right now, I don't know if that means keeping Sam Darnold. But why I think this job is way tougher than it looks on paper mm-hmm. is that you don't have a quarterback because you don't know what you have in Sam Darnold. Mm-hmm. You can say, oh, you know, we bring in Mike LaFleur, like we can run this kind of offense and like Sam will be better in this. And then we'll Mm -hmm. try to re it's been three years of Sam Darnold, not being a good quarterback. Yes. So the idea, and especially when you hold the number two pick, it's sort of like, "Mm, do we want to try to fix somebody else's mess? And I don't mean that to disparage Sam. I just mean here the jets. It's a place where QB careers go to die. It feels like 
in mm-hmm. recent, you know what I mean? Like I, like we've had the Sanchez and we've had, and I love Mark and we had the Gino and the uh, Hackenberg, whatever the hell that was, um, you know, like Fair. you need to, they don't develop quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. They haven't for a long time taken good, decent quarterbacks and made them very good or great. Um, so you got to trust like Kinsala, who's a defensive coordinator, a defensive background. Um, can he do that with mm-hmm. Sam or do you start fresh? Um, it might be easy. It's an unknown. That kid in the draft that you, that you take is an unknown. We don't know if he's going to be good or not, but at least you can say from day one, I can work with him as opposed mm-hmm. to having to try to correct Sam. Um, they have a lot of draft capital. Do they yes. want a Deshaun Watson? Who knows? Mm, um, the big mystery hanging over all know, of this. You know, do you say like, hey, man, throw all those chips in the table, get Deshaun to come to Florham Park. That mm-hmm. makes your job easier as a head coach because now defensive head coach can focus on, I mean, you you have, as a CEO of a team, you got to focus on all areas at all times. But at least with a veteran QB, you don't mm-hmm. have to work as hard as far as like, okay, so this is what we're doing, okay? Um but yeah, Salah, you know, I think for him, it's the, he's unproven too, but what you see from what you, when you talk to people at the 49ers, it's like, mm-hmm. they are convinced this guy can stabilize this franchise. Convinced. And I'm like, nobody has been able to do that. Even when Todd had a good year at 10 and six, it was like, oh, the Todd Bowl there. And then it was like, oh, Ryan Fitzpatrick turned into a pumpkin, um, you know, so I think th- it's a very uphill climb for mm. Sala, but pe- based on what we, I mean, what are the defense lost so many key stars, Yeah, key stars, and still they are upsetting teams late mm-hmm. in the season. You know what I mean? And it's, and his intensity, like that's what the jets want. They need somebody who's going to come in here, set an agenda. And, and, you know, I saw, sat down with Robert Sala during Super Bowl week when the 49ers mm-hmm. lost um, to the chiefs. And, he was talking about his blueprint for, for his defense, like the rubber bracelets on his wrist. And it's got different, you know, acronyms, like the 49ers extreme violence, you Mm. know, like, like he is a, he loves football and, but he's also somebody that, you know, can talk about other things. Like it's concerned with other things that exist. And I think in today's NFL where players are just as concerned about what's happening on the field in their careers as they are, with social justice mm-hmm. or politics or what's going on in the world, you need a head coach who can um, who can compartmentalize and juggle all those different things. Like, you want to have a conversation about this? Let's like let me get the pulse of where this locker room is. Let mm-hmm. talk to me. Like, what's going on? So I think he has all the requisite skills, right? Even mm-hmm. though he hasn't been a head coach before, but the Jets is it's a different animal here in. New York, New mm-hmm. Jersey. It's just a different from the media crush. Like, and I live in this, like I'm from Brooklyn. Like it, mm-hmm. it's just a different arena. And again, how this is an, a long term fix, but how, but eventually ownership gets, gets antsy when it's like year one, year two, and we're still not good. There is like, Oh, where are the results? Like we, you know, we draft to do this guy, like what's going on. So if the jets ownership can just stay out of the way, Mm-hmm. And let Joe Douglas and Robert Sala cook and do it their way. Where, you know what I mean? I think that would be the best thing uh, for all parties involved. Makes total sense. And I think, you know, to that point, you saw Richard Sherman's tweet after mm-hmm. this became clear. Like, you know, I'm not saying that there are times when, you know, 
players say nice things about coaches. Right, right. If Richard Sherman did not feel like Robert Sala was really going to be a good head coach somewhere else, I'm not saying he would have quiet. Yeah, he wouldn't have trashed him on the way out. But like, like there are some, you know, there are some times where coaches get hired and the guys, you know, the the players who played for him previously, Mm -hmm. conspicuously quiet. That was not the case when it came Mm -hmm. to Robert Sala getting this job with the Jets. Last one, maybe the most unknown to me in, in, in some ways, and maybe you feel differently, but Arthur Smith, a guy who, you know, been a coordinator in the NFL for two years, one of the hot offensive minds, um, has done great work in Tennessee, obviously. Um, going to the Falcons, a place that has been very, very patient with their hires um, historically. And w- with the two guys that Arthur Blank has hired, uh, really, you know, it was Dan Quinn and um, Mike Smith each got a long time and both defensive-minded mm-hmm. coaches before they went to Atlanta. So Atlanta, their defense has been a mess for the past few years. The offense, you know, a lot invested there. Um, were you surprised that they went with an offensive coach? Given that they their defense has been the issue, um, was I surprised? No. Well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Actually, do you think that matters? Do you think that that if a team is going to be hiring a coach, do you think they need to be concerned about okay, our defense is a problem right now, so we should hire a defensive coach? We should just let's hire the best person for the job and trust that they're going to hire the right people for the staff and they're going to fix that. You know, in the big yeah, picture. yeah. No, I think it's the latter. I think. This is, it's almost like the draft when you're a GM or head coach, you sit in the, in the quote unquote war room and it's draft day. And it's like, you know, you know, you need a pass rusher, right? But you're picking, you know, in the top 15, mm-hmm. you've got your best, but you got your best player board, you know, set up mm-hmm. and there's the pass rusher, but on your board, the wide receiver is actually the better player that mm-hmm. you have, you know what I mean? But you end up going with the pass rusher because it's like, well, we need that spot. Sometimes that works out, but I think sometimes when you draft for need, like, oh, our defense has been terrible. So let's get, you end up not getting the best player that you have. So when it comes to head coaching hires, you've got to go with, regardless of which side of the ball Mm -hmm. they're good at, or their focus is you go with the person who you think can, can get guys to buy in, Mm -hmm. who can set a clear agenda and standards and a new culture and all, I'm saying all those things like it's really easy. Those take a long time, but you need <laughs> sure. to, and you need to hire somebody who can multitask and understand that football is really only like a fraction of the job of a head coach. Like, you know, when I spoke to Kevin Stefanski um, before their week seven, the Browns week 17 game against Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. he and I were on the phone the night before the game. And he said, I knew that I'd have to, I'd want to spend time talking to my guys and think, you know, like I want to be clear about my messages. I just didn't realize how much time I would actually pour into how do I want to phrase it? What do Mm -hmm. I want to say? And that's part of the job too. how you address your team, how you're able to still be yourself and give them what they need. And each guy needs something different. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, offense, defense, you want somebody who's got clear CEO leadership type skills and who's smart enough to say, I'm a defensive guy, but you know, my boy or like this person who I don't know, but I know that they like can crush it as my OC, that's mm-hmm. who I'm gonna hire. And I trust him or that QB coach, I know without a shadow of a doubt, he can work with the Q, whoever the QB is. So no, it did not. And I think when you look at NFL hires over the years, like it, the NFL is such a copycat league. It's like mm-hmm. one year run on defensive guys who are on the defense side of the ball. 
Then we pivot to the, oh, did you shake hands with Sean McVay at one point? <laughs> Good. So, okay, you're the guy. We want you because right. you're the next hot offensive guru. And so now I think, um, you know, the pendulum swings back and forth. I think you just need to get a natural born leader mm -hmm. who knows what he's not good at and what he's great at. And then he assembles his staff to sort of um, supplement what he brings to the table. Makes total sense. And I always think about Mike Tomlin, right? Where Mike Tomlin comes in, he'd been a coordinator for one year and he joins the Steelers and he's, he's has a defensive background and Dick LeBeau is there. And Dick LeBeau has been with the Steelers for, you know, off and on for 30 years. And um, obviously an incredible defensive coach runs a totally different scheme from what Mike Tomlin had seen. Mike Tomlin didn't come in and said, Hey, we're going to get rid of Dick LeBeau. We're going to do things totally differently. We're going to do things my way because that's the only way I know. He said, <laughs> Hey, this guy is a genius. This guy's kind of good. <laughs> yeah. Like, like number one, I could probably learn something from him, but number two, right. What's not right. you know, what's important is not not the scheme. It's not not playing a three four or a four three. It's mm -hmm. you know you have a, a defense that's bought into what he does. It does it well. I'm going to do what I can to try and make things better. But like you know, we have something that works. I'm not going to fix. I'm not going to you know break some. I'm not going to break something that doesn't need to be fixed. And and they won a Super Bowl pretty quickly because of it. And you know, I think it speaks to just when you have the best coaches in football. Um, you know, the decisions they make are not always to do the thing that seems like it might be obvious or what other right. coaches might do. And it turns out well for them in the big picture. Um, and someone else I want to ask you about as we get to finishing up here is Eric Bieniemy because I think now, <laughs> now last year, it seemed mm -hmm. like we all expected Eric Bieniemy was going to get one of the head coaching jobs and he did not this year. Same thing. Eric Bieniemy, of course, making a deep playoff run, but we've seen that coaches are, it's possible to interview coaches via zoom now. Um, during the playoffs, we've seen other coaches with teams who are still in the postseason picture getting interviews. And it seems like Eric Bieniemy is on the outside looking in. Now, there are still technically three jobs left. There's the Lions job, which has been rumored to go to Dan Campbell. I think that's getting fired. Talk about experience, right. Talk about uh, right. a, guy with, a, guy with, a guy with one year of experience with the Dolphins where he went five and seven. Um, mm -hmm. with two of those wins coming against backup quarterbacks with Matt Schaub and Mark Sanchez coming in and playing those games. Again, no disrespect to Matt Schaub and Mark no. Sanchez. But nope, none at all. Mm -mm. Not not like it was a, <laughs> it's not like Dan Campbell was so good that you're like, man, I need more Dan Campbell in my life. <laughs> and, and, exactly. and, and on top of that, on top of that, a guy in Dan Campbell, who again, seems like he's a, a smart guy, seems like he is well-respected, a tough guy, mm -hmm. everyone says, mm -hmm. but a guy who was not calling plays in New Orleans uh, as, uh, on the offensive side there. So it looks like Dan Campbell's going to get the Lions job. Right. Which leaves two jobs. It leaves the Eagles job and it mm -hmm. leaves the Texans job. And obviously both those jobs, the quarterback, <laughs> the quarterback situation is just a big old question mark. Just, yes. Very murky. Those places. So let me ask you, Kimberly, let me start with this. Even if Eric Bieniemy was offered one of those two jobs, do you think he should take one of those two opportunities if it is presented to him? If I were Eric Bieniemy, I'd just be like, no, I'm good. I'm good, honestly. Um, I agree. Because here's the thing. Both of those franchises, when it comes to the QB situation, it is troubled waters. <laughs> because you don't know, again, you don't know what you have um, in either spot. You have one disgruntled QB in Philly. You've got one QB who's just drafted who's like, am I the starter or am I not? Am I back on the bench? What's happening? Right. Um and then in Houston, I mean, Deshaun 
he he's tweeting out future lyrics, like mm-hmm. basically pointing to his eventual uh, departure from Houston. So then you have, and, and the thing about Houston, I would not touch that job with a 10 foot pole. The thing about Houston is Deshaun was the only sure thing you had. Yes. And so now if he's not in the mix, oh no, with no draft, no first round, no mm-hmm. second round draft picks, no money, no cap space. Oh, oh no. That, so I would say don't ever take that job, Eric the enemy. But um, I think to, to our point, and I, I, was, I did Dominique Foxworth's uh, I Don't Give a Damn show mm-hmm. earlier today. And he, he made a great point. And I'll say it here because in trying to defend, it's not even defend, but articulate why the Eric Bieniemy situation is so frustrating or why so many Black coaches and assistants and personnel guys are sort of scratching their heads, feeling like they don't get the same opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like in trying to do that, that you're taking shots at a Brandon Staley or mm-hmm. Dan Campbell, or an Urban Meyer, like, or a Zach Taylor. And, and I want to be clear, like, if those franchises felt those guys were the best fit, mm-hmm. then more power to them. You want to see them succeed because those franchises being good make the league better. Sure. Um, but it feels like we talk about the goalposts moving. It feels like when it comes to Eric Danemy, it feels like somebody picked up the goalposts and like removed them from the field altogether. So you cannot score. hundred percent. Um, and so, you know, we talk about Dan Campbell and, um, Arthur Smith and, mm-hmm. and Brandon Staley. So talk about being coordinated. Now Arthur Smith is different, but you talk about guys who hadn't had coordinator experience mm-hmm. and Matt LaFleur was another one who was very, very young. And didn't have like, you know, you're sort of like, okay, this guy, does he, you know, this is a big deal going to Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers. Is this going to work? Um, Eric Bieniemy has shown like through, through the, the success of this chief's offense, working with Patrick Mahomes, like the fact that Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and guys like Mitchell Schwartz all um, praise him Mm -hmm. as a leader, as somebody who he'll get on your butt. But like he is, you know, he'll ream you out if need be. But like this guy loves his players and and loves this team. It's almost like what else? Like, um, okay, so you need to, you don't, Eric needs to call plays, right? Oh, but wait a second. Dan Campbell, if he gets his Detroit, no, he doesn't need to call plays. Mm-hmm. Um, or like, you know what I mean? Like, or, or Joe Judge just came at people like, who? Who's this? Um and it's fine if the public or the media does, isn't familiar with these names. You want to make sure that the teams are vetting these people and not thinking, I want somebody to look at an Eric Bieniemy with the same sort of like, well, he, I don't know how many plays he calls per game, mm-hmm. but I, I, I kind of, based on what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing from people who know him best, I'm getting the vibe that I could see him being successful. Like I see mm-hmm. something here, the same way that they can look at a Zach Taylor and be like, um, you know, I see, no, has he been a quarter? No, but I see something, right. you know, I think it's just the standards. It's not black people think they should be hired because they're black. It's just, Hey, the, the way we uh, vet candidates and the way we determine who can be successful or who we feel comfortable with or who we um, command a room or who's a true leader. Like, I feel like all, all that criteria, it seems like it changes based on who the candidate is. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what, that's what coaches of color have an issue with. It's sort of like, 
why is my resident like it's almost like and it mirrors america america mm. it mirrors real life like you have to be twice as good like that's what we're taught growing up like you have to be twice as good mm -hmm. because you don't want to give people any reason to say like oh i mean kimberly she's not right but do you know that you know that she changed jobs like a bunch of times in like three years like that that makes me question her loyalty you know what i mean but right. like you know but it doesn't matter for like some other people so i think that's where the frustration lies you just want good coaches to get the same fair shake for lack of a better phrase uh cliche you just want everybody to get the same be on the same footing 100 percent. and i mean i think lafleur is a great example mike Vrabel, a guy who's been a very mm -hmm. good coach in tennessee mm -hmm. one year as a coordinator the defense literally last in the league in points mm -hmm. allowed per game in houston and that should have to be you know, on paper, you look at Mike Vrabel and say, well, that's a terrible resume. He needs five more years as a coordinator <laughs> to prove it. But he's turned out to be a great head coach. I'm not saying anything disparaging about Mike Vrabel. He's done a great job in Tennessee. And I think that mm -hmm. that's sort of the frustrating thing with Eric Bieniemy is that, like, you know, number one, the resume is great. And number two, why does the re why, why do these particular things about Eric Bieniemy, why, why does he have to check every single one of these boxes off? Before when, you, right, 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 right. Right, when you have all these other guys who don't have to even check half of those boxes off mm -hmm. and are suddenly NFL head coaches. So to me, right. you know, again, like Eric Bannery may turn out to be a terrible head coach. We, yeah. I, have, I have no idea. But when I look at the people who are getting hired, I look at Eric Bannery and I look at what he's done and especially what the people around him say, I think that's really telling. And I think that, you know, um, we are very bad. We, we are, are generally the league as a whole are terrible at hiring mm -hmm. coaches. You know, mm -hmm. Adam Gase got two head coaching jobs. Uh, Matt Patricia I, know, got a head coaching I have job. never seen anybody fail up. Like, like the fact that there's rumors that he's going to be talking for like OC jobs in, mm -hmm. in Seattle. I'm just like, come on now. What right. do we do? What are we, what are we doing here? That's all. So I would love to hear what yes. Mina has to say about that. So, well, I, I will tell you when I, when I brought it up, no joke. When I brought it up uh, as a possibility to Mina on the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny, she hung up on me and ended the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I can't. That's I cannot. <laughs> um, but if you want to hear more talk about the NFL and about all things sports, Kimberly, where can people do that? And when does the new show start? So our podcast, the first episode of First Take Her Take launches tomorrow, Wednesday. Um, and you can find me on get up first take on Twitter. My uh, Twitter uh, handle is at by Kimberly a, uh, not to steal Stephen a, but it's <laughs> by Kimberly a, and I spell my name differently. It's L E Y. Um, and on Instagram, just my name, Kimberly Martin. So you guys can find me, um, get, posting all sorts of gifs and, you know, irreverent oh, no. memes. Um, <laughs> this is a great performance, and then you go with gifs at the very end. Oh no! I yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, so <laughs> you can find me all sorts of crazy sports takes. Um, yeah, so a lot of places you can look me up. I agree with everything you said this entire conversation, and then we got oh, to I the killed last it. I line. killed it. I killed it. I killed the moment. I tripped right at the finish line. Gifs, I gifs. did not. Uh, okay, so. I, it should be gifts. It should be gifts. In my heart, it's gifts. In my heart, it totally is gifts, but I understand it's not technically gifts. 
So I don't want people to like then at me like, oh, you don't know jokes. <laughs> so that was a preemptive strike. Like I know okay. what I'm saying. See, see, that's, can we be best friends still? Yeah, that should be the can slogan. We get back? The, okay. Yes, okay. we're good. That should be the slogan for the show. I know what I'm saying. Let's take our take. Good idea. Martin. I like that. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Bill. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks so much again to my guests, Nate Tice and Kimberly Martin. Check out Nate on the Athletic Football Show. Check out Kimberly coming up on First Take Her Take. More audio for listen to when it comes to those shows and more audio coming from the Bill Barnwell Show. We'll be talking about the conference championship games and getting ready for the Super Bowl. Crazy to think we're almost there. But the Super Bowl is coming up. The conference championship games are coming up this Sunday. Hope you guys enjoyed those. Hope you guys are staying safe and healthy and more audio coming next week.